I can follow instructions. You were you were never a line leader in elementary school, were you? I'm just an eager guy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you said line leader? Yeah. <laughs> what line, my brother? <laughs> what? What, what <laughs> lines are we divided against? You're sounded real apartheid to me right now. Facts, facts. Apartheid? Are you projecting? <laughs> yeah, I'm projecting. <laughs> Projecting my voice into this microphone to test my sound waves. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just, Unfortunately, we can hear you. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying dumb shit. What's good, Eric? Isn't that what, what life's about? What's good, man? <laughs> What's good, Eric? I feel like you don't come around anymore. You know, I don't even have anything witty to say back to that. That's actually, that's actually true. It's been too long, hasn't it? Yeah. It has been too long. But you're back. And that's what matters. I'm back. And when's a better time than Black History Month? Hell yeah. Oh, it's Black History Month. Psych. I haven't even smiled at a white person in weeks. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I've stopped moving out the way on the sidewalk <laughs> uh, for the last week. Oh, my God. I don't get it. Gave them a month. What else do they want? A year. Oh, oh. A year. <laughs> Two years. 40 acres and a mule. Let's go. You're rocking with the Brown Now Black Podcast. You got your two co-hosts. And at this point, Harrison, are we going to bestow honorary co-host upon Eric on this episode? I think that if anyone is getting honorary co-host, it's going to go to Eric. But you know what? He has to share that title with Angel as well. I'm okay with that. Mm. I'm okay with that. Who is not on the mic, but in spirit. (laughs) She's watching over all of us. Isn't she always? Is that like a play on words because she's an angel? You got your two co-hosts right here. <laughs> I go by the name of Nick. It's me, your fave cousin whose lifestyle choices are so much more interesting that it takes the heat off of you, Harrison. <laughs> that, that, that one hit. Anyone else? <laughs> Not just me? Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Damn. Yo, but we're back. We got we got the honor of every co-host here. What's good, Eric, aka E Money? Yo, yo. How you been? I've been good, man. I've been living life. Like I said, it's Black History Month, so I'm feeling great. And honestly, it's been a a busy week. But when you hit me up to hop on, I knew I had to make time for this. I was like, let me stop playing with these boys. Let me let me get on. Let me get on here with y'all. Stop playing with these boys and come have a conversation with the man or two. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. That was so, that was so hyper-masculine. I feel like I have a lot of testosterone in me because I'm getting militant because I've been reading about the Black Panthers for a couple of days now. Feel that. Feel that. We have been reading the correct literature. <laughs> this, this has been something that's been on my mind and Nick's mind too, but for a minute because we were thinking, you know, at this moment, we are in the month of February. And here in the U.S., that means it's Black History Month. And I was thinking about, like, Black History facts and stuff, right? 
And I got down this path because I was listening to Tupac because it's Tupac and I don't need a reason to listen to him. And I was like, damn, you know, facts. his mom was a Black Panther. And I'm pretty sure his stepdad was a Black Panther, too. But that's correct. That, OK, cool. Instant fact check. I love that. So he had a quote that was like. All art is. Necessarily political. And then I was like, damn, I need to know more about this small tidbit of information I got. And then I started like just searching stuff up online. Like usually it starts with Wikipedia and then like connected articles and whatnot. And I ended up finding something called the 10 point program of the Black Panther Party. And it outlines 10 demands, 10 points, if you will. That this group of people came up with. Whoa, 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 huh? whoa, whoa. <laughs> Wait, what, what? Cut the track. Hold on, DJ HQ, aka <laughs> Red Leader. Whoa. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Because you are in this moment getting ready to get into the nitty gritty of the Black Panthers. But yo, who, who are the Black Panthers? Put some respect on their name because to me, I went down the same path as you, which is the whole reason this podcast started. Also, Quick shout out. Timetable's a little messed up here, but yo, just wanted to say, Eric, love you, bro. I appreciate you coming out to to San Francisco, to Oakland, yes, sir. to party with us. Absolutely. To, to celebrate the birthday for the one time. We entered our 20, what, 27? Yeah. Damn. Yes, sir. 27. Two days apart. Damn. Had to spend that 27. <laughs> Welcome to the club. That sounds fantastic. That's like... That's a great year, man. I'm I'm very happy about it. So I'll I'll be happy for the both of us. Twenty seven is a great time. Oh, you're loving your twenty seven. Okay, noted. I'll write that down. <laughs> but no, thanks, yo. You came out. You partied. We actually saw something that'll come up a little bit later. But that that Angela Davis exhibit at the Oakland Museum it's was fantastic. Was eye opening. Yeah, it's absolutely. really really cool. Absolutely. But yeah, wanted to get back to the Black Panther. The ten point program is obviously what they live by, but when I was growing up, and again, if you're a new listener, this whole podcast basically started. Harrison and I grew up in Caribbean households as the sons of immigrant. Nick. Nick. <laughs> find find your center. You got it, bro. You got it. You got it. You got it. My root chakra is out of line. Okay. In some circles, I'm known as the root chakra destroyer. What did you just say? <laughs> yo? My bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> it was just on my mind. Often or? <laughs> <laughs> just bubbling under the surface. This it's just pure. It's impulse. It's impulse. So anyways, Harrison and I grew up as the sons of immigrants from Guyana. You know, we're first generation in this country. So, you know, again, if you're new to this podcast, just listening, this is the perspective. Um, and Eric shares that same perspective, except his family's from Haiti. Yep. It's Caribbean cultures, West Indian cultures. That's the kind of perspective we're bringing. And because of that, I've been put in a lot of social circles, weird social circles where, you know, someone's like, oh, you, yeah, you haven't heard of a ex-black artist. I can't, I can't think of one black artist, Nick. Yo, you haven't heard of, of Chingy? Man, Chingy. And I'm just like, yo. Dang, dang, take that one back. <laughs> take that one back. Don't take, don't say that one. Bro. Don't, don't put that out there that you didn't know who Chingy was, bro. Don't do that to yourself. 
Can we, what do you mean? This, this is what I'm talking can about. Can we delete this from the You're, episode? Yo, this is my point. Can we delete this from the episode? <laughs> yo, I want yeah. you to like this. <laughs> delete the, the whole freaking episode. You know about that dude, Chingy, who made the song right there? Right there. Facts. I do now. Yo. Holiday Inn. <laughs> Come on, bro. The long of the show. <laughs> my bad. Get back to it. Get it. My bad. My bad. <laughs> no, I actually kind of deserve that one. I'm not even going to hold you. I thought you were going to say, like, Teddy Pendergrass or something like that. Like, somebody, like, from, like, the 70s or something. You think Chingy got a free room at the Holiday Inn for that shit? <laughs> I think he has a lifetime pass at any Holiday Inn. And I'm not going to fact check it. <laughs> so, Harrison and I felt out of place in American culture <laughs> at, at different times. And this is the, – the podcast arose – from having those those conversations about situations such as that, when you don't know who Chingy is, and then your friends go off topic on your podcast. I like the way you do that right there, right there. I had never really learned about the Black Panther Party in depth. Nothing was taught to me besides the fact that they all wore black leather jackets and berets, and they carried guns, and they were super violent, and they shot at the cops all the time. That was more or less my education about the Black Panthers, and it took a, not a lot of learning to to uncover what they're really about. But you know, that's the reason I have Eric here on this show. He's a, again one person that was instrumental in opening my eyes, and the Black Panthers were inspired by that one book Eric gave me, the autobiography of Malcolm X. So from there, you know, Harrison and I started having a few conversations, and here we are. Yeah, precisely. I feel like it's really funny that you brought up just being like first gen because i feel like that definitely has a big i feel like you guys have talked about this on here too like it has a big effect on just kind of how you view a lot of these type of things a lot of this type of history you know in america when you're first gen when your parents are from maybe a, a place in the caribbean or africa or something like that because i feel like really almost any any immigrants, especially like non-white immigrants, I feel like feel like a strong desire to have to assimilate. And so I feel like it's funny because you're kind of just told to kind of walk down that middle path and not learn about things like this. And obviously you're not learning the proper history about people like the that were like in the Black Panther Party or like Malcolm X or other people like that, like in school either. So it's hard. I feel like a lot of people in our position like end up learning this on their own journey, like much later in life, you know, versus Angel y'all brought up. She's black American. You know, she has people in her life that like lived through some of these experiences, you know, were active and alive while these things were happening in America and can like talk to her about it or tell her what it was like. So it was like a completely different experience when you're living here, you know. When you interact with other people. That's so real. That one part you mentioned about feeling this need to assimilate resonates a lot with me because we have touched on that topic a whole lot. And I think we will continue to because it's one that's so pervasive and a very common and often felt sensation for non-white immigrants or first generation people in the United States of America. And something that I truly believe is that if we embrace our differences as not a point of contention, but a point of learning and something new to experience and understand even, America is stronger for it and better for it. Because, you know, outside of the early U.S., 
like colony days. Everybody here is not from here except for the people that got genocided, the natives. So the USA could be the shining example of what happens when you mash up a bunch of people from different places, like in the modern era. Mash up. <laughs> Mashed up. <laughs> so if we do embrace our differences, like a, this is a cool type thing, I think America is much better than if we are just at each other's throats. Like, Because when you, you shame being different or eating different or talking different, dressing different, then you get this suppression and it puts people into a state of mind like like they're an outsider or an exile where then you have them thinking, okay, the only way I'm ever going to make it here is if I pretend to be a white man. And, and then you're being disingenuous to yourself. And then it gets perpetuated into the next generation. And then they're going to think, the only way I can be successful is if I just pretend to be white. And instead of just, I don't know, embracing the things that make up your identity in a genuine type way, and when someone else expresses themselves, you know, yeah, there's limits to self-expression, but as long as you ain't hurting anybody, then it's cool. And you could vibe with it, learn from it, evolve with it, and you might just find something else from another culture that you really enjoy. I love that idea of finding yourself. And not trying to be someone someone you're not, especially a white person, because again, how we grew up, that's all I was told how to act. That's all that was around me. That one simple action being genuine to yourself, it's amazing how that can actually break up and disrupt layers and layers of just generational trauma. Right. Of that of that exact thing. Yeah. Facts. Even though it seems small, I think it's always vital to remain genuine to oneself and it could it could trickle down into some greater problem or beast later on when you be disingenuous to yourself for an extended period of time maybe even for a whole generation or two what are things that that you do every day to be genuine to yourself i'm actually i'm genuinely curious oh are we talking about me like me personally? <laughs> wait, wait, let me ask you something else. Do you not want to talk about yourself right now? Um, no, I'll talk about myself. How do I be genuine <laughs> to myself? I geez, I mean, have you looked at me? I <laughs> I dress and present myself in ways that I the first thing I ask myself, like when I get dressed or like say say I'm like deciding how my face is gonna look today, how my hair is gonna look today, what am I gonna wear? I ask myself, what do I want to wear? What do I want to look like? What vibe am I about to capture? What aesthetic am I going for? Maybe it's going to be bohemian poet down on his luck, which is actually my real identity. Maybe it's just going to be (laughs) romantic goth. Maybe it's going to be anime boy. It could be anything. Like it could be mask, femme, androgynous, all in between. But I'm often just asking myself for my own validation. I'm not looking outwards for that one. That's how I stay genuine to myself. That's a major factor of it. I also stay genuine to myself through cooking. Yeah, I hear that. I like that. I love cooking. <laughs> That's a great vehicle to stay genuine to yourself and and your culture. And like oh, yeah. you were saying, any any other cultures that you may have taken things from her oh yeah like 
one of my best ways to embrace another culture is i feel like this does get slightly off topic but it's me just enjoying shit cuisine cuisine is one of the one of my favorite things to explore in other cultures as well as their histories and i like cooking dishes from italy mexico certain cantonese style dishes and the number one is caribbean love cooking caribbean food i cook a lot of curries i made i have made three curries in the last 10 days i know your fingernails yellow (laughs) i use a spoon like a british person would i'm sorry (laughs) i didn't make roti i had it with rice not roti Something about that's rubbing me the wrong way. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Not nah, bro. I'm not eating curry with curry and rice with my hands. Okay, I I'm not gonna say I've never so done it before. So wait, 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 <laughs> wait, wait. So you're so you're not embracing oh your roots. My bad. My that's bad. what you're saying on this here podcast. On this here brown, no. not black podcast. That's what you're saying. I'm just asking questions. I'm just gay asking clarifying questions. I'm sorry. I've been brainwashed and I am. <laughs> I need to be reassimilated <laughs> into my culture. <laughs> I've been on the outside. All right, my brother. As long as you know. As long as you know. My brother. I'm glad I'm glad you're here because that's what that's what we about to do today. So let's get into it, man, because tell me. Harrison, we've gotten feedback on this show. And I've honestly never told it to you because it hurts my ego. What? But people tell me you have a really nice voice. Let's right? go. So take that voice. <laughs> Why don't you take that really nice voice? Wait, wait, wait. Go. For the record, for the record, y'all both have, both of y'all have great podcast oh, thank voice. You. Like both of you. Yeah, it's true. We, we both do. He's right. We do. <laughs> you like that, Eric, huh? Oh, sorry. <laughs> 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 nah, you went too far over the line now. Yeah, I'd, I'd be doing that though. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, dial it back, dial on, it back oh, on my show during Black History Month. <laughs> you're gonna tell me to dial it back, yo. <laughs> yo, but Harrison, we do want to hear it. The ten points of the Black Panthers. Oh right, that is how this conversation started. So to really set this all up, the Black Panther Party. Just for those who don't know or who are unfamiliar, was a political party in or political organization in the United States. It was founded by college students Bobby Seale and Huey Newton in Huey, 19- don't forget the P. <laughs> Huey P. Newton, my bad. There we go. Um, in October <laughs> 1966 in Oakland, California. Bay Area. The town. So it was active between 1966 and 1982 for the most part. And it had chapters in many major American cities like New York, Chicago, LA, obviously, Seattle, Philadelphia. And its core practice, the thing that made it so notable and some could even say infamous is their practice of open carry patrols that would watch, like they would often just watch and observe police officers in communities. And this was as a reaction to the excessive misconduct of the Oakland Police Department around the time of inception. 
It's called cop watching. Cop watching. And yeah. at that time, correct me if I'm wrong, thanks to Ronald Reagan, <laughs> it was legal to carry a loaded shotgun or rifle, but it was illegal to point it at anyone. So they would watch the cops while holding loaded rifles and shotguns. Legally. Right. But that eventually led to the Mulford Act, which is yes. why California has really strict gun laws. As you can see here, this whole idea was a way to show how the actual American laws on the books made this a perfectly legal action. But the masterful move that they crafted in doing this was the public reaction to black people being seen doing these things is going to be one that is offended and abrasive because they wanted people to realize it's not the guns that they hate it's who's carrying them and when legislative actions came down upon the gun laws like you just said the Mulford Act in California, a heavy restriction was placed on how easy it was to obtain firearms. And this was very reactionary because people were getting scared at this this group of black people who were just carrying guns uh, within their rights, we might add. The Black Panthers were, were highly strategic. Huey Newton was just a very strategic individual. So... A little bit of back, a little bit of backstory, which I thought was very interesting as well. Tens of thousands of black people moved to Oakland after World War II, and when they got there, they were completely unfamiliar. Oakland's brand of racism and Oakland's brand of poverty. So you had a bunch of recently transplanted people in a very, very bad situation, and there was a lot of riots and police fights and beatings. But Huey Newton saw that, saw the power of black people protesting in mass and realized he could harness it and do actual good and that's what led to you know the cop watching they also did really cool things for communities they were very involved in supporting communities of people because they knew strength would come from community organization one of but the but that's the shit that right there that was like that was just not that was not in the textbook that I would have consumed. Oh as a child. well, no, of course not because. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, by making you think that they're like some sort of evil, it just purports the same stereotypes that are going to keep us as people in social classes divided. Yeah, and I feel like the general rule is like, you know, if you're learning in school that a certain group, oh, their tactics were really bad. Or whatever, like usually you got to take that with a grain of salt because they probably were really trying to make a very good point. And I mean, that's true of the Black Panthers, obviously, you know, like they're obviously, like you said, Nick, like they're painted as if like they were just like out here with guns, shooting at people like violent, like they're a terrorist group and they completely yeah. ignore like really the depth of, you know, their beliefs and kind of their tactics and like all that. Yeah. It's entirely frustrating to keep going through this and keep learning things about this, but we, we push onwards nevertheless. But yeah, Harrison, did you... I want you to I, read the 10-point yeah. program. Oh, word. I absolutely will. <laughs> so, I'm going to go through this whole list. 
This was written in 1966, October 15th. It's the Black Panther Party 10-point program. We want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black community. We believe that black people will not be free until we are able to determine our destiny. We want full employment of our people. We believe that the federal government is responsible and obligated to give every man employment or a guaranteed income. We believe that if white American businessmen will not give full employment, then the means of production should be taken from the businessmen and placed in the community so that the people of the community can organize and employ all of its people and give a high standard of living. That seems very fair to me. That was that was point two. It was those were points one and two. I want to pause for like a hot sec, right, and discuss point two and how Please. how big that is. And remember, this is 1966. Please. People were talking about this, and if you want to go further back, people have been talking about ideas like this since way before then. Talk about it. I feel that. Guaranteed income, Andrew Yang could never. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you guys think that we as American citizens deserve a guaranteed income and employment? Absolutely. I know I do for myself. It's just I've met a lot of Americans and I you asked if they deserve it. Should they have it? Yes. Do they deserve it? I, I don't what know. makes you all right? Expand on that. If you have anything to expand on, you don't have to. I just I, it's not it's not super expansive. It should be pretty obvious. There there are people who currently don't believe that we should have a universal basic income or guaranteed employment, and maybe maybe they don't deserve it if they don't want it. Hmm. Hey, hey, I'm just saying. I mean, to me, like, hey, to me, like, I feel you, but I feel like even those people at the end of the day deserve it, like, because they just, they just don't realize, like, you know, a lot of people who, a lot of people who real, who think that, like, they don't realize that they're also just the same, like, victim of the same system that we all are. Ha! This worker has fallen in love with the system that exploits him. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no. No, I, I know. Pete, yes, yes. I say yes. People should have it. I'm just messing with you on the wording. Some people, some people don't deserve it. Let's be, let's be real. Okay. Hi. Hi. Word. I like I like your answers for different reasons. In my, personally, for me, I think that so long as a system in which an income is necessary, then we should be guaranteed a form of income, and a form of income is usually guaranteed by a form of employment. To which I say, I think everyone should have a full employment or some form of employment. Full could be a flexible definition, but a certain obligation and responsibility to employment is important to communities because it will help the community operate and help build a sense of community and everybody can provide value. Yo, you spin right now. No, thank you. These... Keep going. <laughs> um, it's kind of all I got. But so, I mean, in my ideal world, there is no such thing as income. We just kind of like vibe out in this sick leftist communist utopia where <laughs> we don't need currency and we're just kind of like 
hey man let's all just build for the the betterment of our culture and society and all will be provided but that's kind of down i'm kind of down to bring back the barter system though well, i know i know that's not that it, doesn't exist in your utopia but it just to me that's just a little fun it, it kind of the thing is the barter system just always leads back to we need currency you know yeah how do we barter like you're just gonna start writing ious like it's like, hey, can you build my house? I got you for like miscellaneous stuff for a while. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I have like a couple more thoughts on like point two. Cause I feel like what's really, what's really dope about it is that like how they pointed out that like the government is responsible and obligated to like see to it that this happens. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that was the part that. You know, I like that's the part that to me like really sticks out to it. Like, and like in their mind, they're like, "Well, if you're not actually going to do this, if the person who's in charge of a business is not actually going to do this, and actually, like you said, Harrison, like, you know, it's important because people need to be able to provide for themselves and also do their part for the community. Right? Like, it's not just like I agree with yeah. you. Like, it's not just about like you have this random job where you mess around with an excel sheet every day but it's like what are you doing to do your part for the community do you like run a store where people can get things right. that they need you know uh, whatever it is and i feel like that's the part that they're kind of getting at and it's like all right if you're someone who owns a business and you're not seeing to it that people can do these things then you're not fit to own a business then like then we it needs to be put back in our hands so we can make sure it's actually serving our community so I think like that's the dope part. Like it's right here in the beginning that like how important community is to it. An interesting thing about that, Eric, is like for let's say business owners and landlords right now, you know, when you bring up this conversation, it's all about, oh, but you're, you know, we're just raising the standards for business people. You're going to really hurt their business, but like they shouldn't be in business. They shouldn't be in business if you can't yep. provide these things for your community. Because what are, yep. we're not going to talk about it, but what the hell is a landlord, man? Anyways. I can see my point. <laughs> but like for real though, because it's like, that's also the problem is how many people own a business or, you know, own property in a community that they're not actually a part of and they have no interest in the betterment of in any way because that's not their community. They just go there to make money from it. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, now you're, now you're taking from, taking from a, a, a group of people. And then, and exactly. Where, where's that money going? Exactly. What is gentrification for 400? <laughs> oh, it costs a lot more than that now. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> oh no! I think that's real because you you still see this as an issue, and it speaks to many things: a sense of community in the direct human to human involvement, one that isn't necessarily political, but also speaks to the politics of the worker and specifically the proletariat. I think that in a situation where the most valuable thing that a worker has is their labor, and this isn't all workers, this is just, you know, most of them in the United States. If the most valuable thing that you have is your labor, your labor, your time, then the means of production are something that you have a very great interest in because it will determine yep. 
in a in a way it's going to determine just how valuable you are or are perceived to be in a way which currency is paid out to you in your society uh, just how valuable you are and remember these points were being written in 1966 and were heavily inspired by just a general library of communist Marxist Leninist ideas that people took and then said, all right, what can we learn from this and apply to our current day? I feel like this point, point number two of we want full employment for our people is something that we are still having a conversation about in 2023, as evidenced by what we just talked about. No, absolutely. And yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, I want you to read the rest of them because you know, that same point you made is very true with a lot of the, the rest of these. They're very surprising. Yeah, I actually feel like what you just said is a great segue to yeah. point three. So point number three, and just a reminder, like these are, I'm reading direct quotes of the points. This is a primary document that I'm reading. It's easily available online. Point three, we want an end to the robbery by the capitalists of our black community. We believe that this racist government has robbed us, and now we are demanding the overdue debt of 40 acres and two mules. 40 acres and two mules were promised 100 years ago as restitution for slave labor and mass murder of black people. We will accept payment in currency which will be distributed to our many communities. It continues to say, Yeah, read that part. The Germans are now aiding the Jews in Israel for the genocide of the Jewish people. Hold on, we have different documents. What the fuck are you reading? What am I reading? I'm reading the... <laughs> Yo, you didn't read the shit that I sent you? Oh, no, I'm on, I must be on a different... That's, that's Yo? <laughs> yeah, you on the bootleg version, bro? I thought you were on the bootleg version, the, the Germans. My brother, I'm on the, the .org. What are you talking about? I'm on port three. This is straight from... This is from blackpass.org, bro. Nick, Nick reading this off, off of Reddit, bro. He Nick, on 4chan what right you now. Do that? What are you... Where are you? Are you on point three? I am on point three, but my point three after... After it says, uh, distributor many community says the American racist has taken part in the slaughter of our 50 million black people. Ah, uh, yeah, they took out that part about the Germans. Yeah, in, in interesting. Version, we are in real time watching misinformation happen. Huh? Wow, that makes a lot more sense. I think it's just the one I was using was censored. <laughs> this is funny. Straight up, because I looked at I looked censored. at another one and it mentions the Germans and the Jews. Now, what's interesting is that Wikipedia's version of this is also the censored one. That don't surprise me. I think the truth is, to be honest, I think that people get very uncomfortable when black people compare damage what happened to Africans to what the Germans did to you know the Jews. I think like yeah. that's why it gets very sensitive, like a lot of times because it makes people very uncomfortable. No, that's really real. And this is this is not me belittling, you know, obviously the Holocaust and what happened, but like when you do compare the numbers, it's pretty outrageous yeah. because no one would dare say like, oh, just get over the Holocaust. That was so long ago. Yeah. You know, but nah, people it's crazy. Do say that about That's true. People have said that about slavery. Um, I think that in the issue of like 
it's never going to be a correct equivalency to compare to any deaths, right? Like, you can't really compare a death exactly. of one person to another person, like, ever, because there's there's too many factors to it. Like, it's it's personal. Yeah. The Germans are now aiding the Jews in Israel for the genocide of Jewish people. The Germans murdered 6 million Jews. The American racist has taken part in the slaughter of over 50 million black people. Therefore, we feel that this is a modest demand that we make. That's the end of the quote for point three. It's worth noting that in some sources that you might find online, such as Wikipedia, that the couple of sentences concerning Germans and Jews in Israel and the murder of six million has been scrubbed uh, or censored, whichever you might want to call it, whether that's for factual reasons or modern sensibilities. I don't really know, but this is how they felt about that situation in 1966. And I, I think for it one, just makes certain people uncomfy, so they scrubbed it. Mm. I, for one, think that the the promise of 40 acres and a mule, uh, which is it's really an old adage and like, one of those, I feel like it's the kind of thing that you say about something that you're basically never going to get because, you know, the rub is these people never got their 40 acres and a mule. But I do think that something can be done to aid black communities in the United States after the fact uh, of retribution. What it would look like, I don't know. Yeah, what would... I, what, uh, I don't know. It's something that, that I've I've never put, like, all of my brain power in on it, but, like, I don't know. How would you ever really do that? Like, currency? Would it look like that one Dave Chappelle skit where they finally get their reparations and people just ball out? Who knows? Now you're looking at the world's richest man, and I'm black. Kiss my black ass, America! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think what everyone wants to know now is what are you going to do with all this money? Uh, uh, I'm going to reinvest my money into the community. Oh, that's a very nice gesture. What were you saying? <laughs> okay. Is that no, your son? No, no, I just bought this baby cash. <laughs> I think that something definitely should be done, though, obviously. And, like, a lot is owed, obviously. Like, and I think that's what's dope about this point is that they get into the fact that, like, there was wealth made off the back of black people, you know? Like, literal, all the wealth that we see around us in this country was made off of just free labor. <laughs> like, that didn't just come from nowhere. So. Not only all of the, well, definitely tremendous amounts of wealth in the United States were generated off of free labor. I mean, just take a look at the cotton trade out of the United States. And, and you know, that's just one facet. And then a whole civil war was fought over this this economic facet of our country to push it even further. The entirety, the, the new world, right? Like the Americas, like 
I know we're talking about America, like North America here, but South America as well to bring this back to the triangle trade and like the Caribbean and South America. The wealth that was extracted from the new world is like incomprehensible because it built the, it built the Europeans to just, to just say it bluntly, like Spain, Portugal, Dutch, Britain, France were made incomprehensibly wealthy. They were put into the seats of power that made them stay on top by the new world. Um, And I will never stop reminding people of that one. Don't forget Belgium. A lot Belgium, of people let Belgium slide. Belgium Don't should not Belgium. slide. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's where Fuck that's where yeah. a lot King of rich people Leopold. keep their money because Belgium's a very wealthy place. Ask yourself, why is Belgium so wealthy? Why why did the Belgians own part of the Congo? What wait a minute. That don't make no sense. Yeah. We're still seeing the effects of these things today. And that's what's wild. Sounded mad news reporter. <laughs> Did you just get that off a teleprompter? <laughs> oh, but I, I, I feel like I'm gonna do what I did last time. Uh, I'll quiz you guys. Like, do you have anything else to add to the sense of how could we repay uh, black communities? Is it even possible? I I don't I don't know how that would look fiscally, financially. Would it be through currency? Would it be through intangible assets, real estate, something like that? Or or would some people just evacuate out of a really nice part of the country and let a lot of black people live there for free? Hmm. I don't know. I'm just that- spitballing ideas. That sounds wacky. I just thought of this just... I, I don't know. That sounds like like that wouldn't happen. I'd be real with you. Would any of this happen? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the tough part about it. Is that like any actual way to like give reparations to all the people that have been affected by this? You said like the Africans, you know, that were brought here. Africans, it's still in Africa. The people who are indigenous to this land, like to actually do it properly... Like, it would just require completely upending the system that we live in. Yeah. There's no other way around it because it's all traced back to just... That would be a great thing. Theft from all those groups that. of people. <laughs> hey. Hey. That I would be exactly. fully in support of that. <laughs> but it's just like, is that... All right, would anyone actually willingly do that? I you think know, we, we know would. The answer to that one. Uh, well, here... <laughs> <laughs> hey, who says we, I'm talking we about. got a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Is this going to help with viewer reach? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I think that a scenario where some type of reparations could be repaid would require an upheaval of the very, not, not foundational, but damn near close to like foundational levels of the code of laws written in the united states and i think that the only way that this would really come to life is if there were a political revolution where the current political party schemes fell apart 
and something new came in its place, perhaps. Where probably the only way this would happen is if the current hegemonic groups, for whatever reason, lost influence and power or capital. And a lot of it was redistributed into the hands of either other people who are very dictator-like, but with the vested interest of black and brown peoples, or the proletariat proper. And I I mean, these are just like pipe dreams. Like, this is some shit that you could make a sci-fi novel about, because I don't see this shit happening anytime soon. What if the utility companies that are now privately owned, instead of being privately owned, were given to black people as stocks, and they were publicly owned by only black people we're not feeling that one we can move on. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're saying all the power would be in the hands of black people <laughs> literally you better not touch that so literally <laughs> no. black power, black pa- literally. oh shit and we rebranded as black power as black power <laughs> man this ain't never this, <laughs> that ain't never gonna happen <laughs> we, ain't, we ain't never making it up. all right <laughs> my my main thing is uh in terms of reparations it's hard to it's hard to really put a number on you know how much money you should give to the black people in america hmm. because nine times out of ten that dollar that they receive it goes out of their community it's hard to spend within black communities sometimes so I think the reparations has to do the utilities things was you know a shot in the dark, but it does have something to do with ownership. Like ownership needs to go to black people, and that's where black that's where not even just black money, but like money needs to go to to black communities to black people. So whatever that looks like, I'm on board for. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna move into points four. <laughs> we want. Let's get it. <laughs> We want decent housing fit for the shelter of human beings. We believe that if white landlords will not give decent housing to our black community, then the housing and the land should be made into cooperatives so that our community, with government aid, can build and make decent housing for its people. Seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, I think this is definitely... Something that people like you brought up before, Eris, and like people are still arguing and fighting for today that like housing is actually just a right for every human being. It's a basic need. So it's like, yeah, again, like if you are one of the people that has the power to give or take that away from people and you're not being responsible with it, you have no right to to have it. it. It's a case of like, are you even fit to govern us is being made here. Because when I read this yep. point, I oh, think yeah. it's a very small ask. It's it's very small because we know that housing is a basic human necessity, right? You need shelter in order to live. Yes. They're not even asking for the right to own housing or anything like that. They're just asking for cooperatives. They're asking for the individual, not, not the individual. They're asking for groups of people to have the ability to have this housing together. The thing yeah. that Yeah, exactly. My my brain goes to the place where 
again, you're requiring you're requiring us to live in this country. Why can't you give us decent housing? You know, you're requiring an income in order to be able to live. Why aren't you providing a guaranteed income? But it it takes it to the next level for me. The first thing I thought of, we want decent housing. Especially in a country that has such a, a almost like a forced birth regime coming out. Provide housing. That's insane. Repeal abortion laws and force people to have babies that they're not prepared for, but not feel the need to house them. Interesting. Facts. I think what like is funny about it, kind of like what's said, is that like this isn't even that radical like of an ask. Like you know, um, the more radical you get, the more people will really just say that no one should even be able to be a landlord or no one should even be able to own land. And they're like not even really asking for that here. They're just like, we just think you should have to give me like yeah. somewhere to live. <laughs> like not even like you shouldn't own it. Just please allow me to actually have shelter. Right. Like in these communities that are largely black just at least let me have a a cooperative you know like it's almost like they're saying listen i get it you guys don't they're almost conceding the point of y'all don't want us in your communities so let me at least have a cooperative (laughs) in mine and again just like with previous points it's wild to me that we're still asking for the same things <clears throat> I think this sentiment actually, I'm not going to lie. I think this sentiment came from Abraham Lincoln. Which, what are we talking about here? The whole sentiment of, because Lincoln said this. He's like, yeah, let's free the slaves. And then someone was like, wait, hold on, we- hold on, my brother. Hold on, my brother. Hold on, my brother. You think a white man oh. this? <laughs> man, no. Not a white man. I'm just going to bro. I'll tell you what I'll part, you what part of it <laughs> the white man did come up with. I'll say this. A black person said, let's free the slaves. Lincoln was like, yeah, let's do that. And then someone was like, all right, we got to prepare some housing for them. And Lincoln was like, nah, we got to get them out of here. Wait. (laughs) He's like, yo, y'all can be free, but y'all can't stay here. (laughs) No. Why would you? Abe Lincoln. Why would you put me into this scenario? This is crazy. <laughs> it's true. That's what this podcast is about. Uncomfortable truths. All right. And friendship. <laughs> Speaking of uncomfortable truth, here's point number five. We want education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. We want education that teaches us our true history and our role in the present day society. We believe in an educational system that will give to our people a knowledge of self. If a man does not have knowledge of himself and his position in society and the world, then he has a little chance to relate to anything else. I guess in summary, they're really saying, tell the real story of what really happened. Um, Some nowadays might call that one critical race theory whoa (laughs) and i mean basically like if you didn't know where we came from how will you know where we're going kind of thing 
And that's real. Um, asking for a better education yeah. is very valid, especially an education that fully owns the atrocities that it committed. And I think, in my heart of hearts, that if the United States could, on the same page, decide, hey, we need to own this atrocity of the mistreatment of black people from slavery, then we could move forward from it. But we still don't even fully own that one. No, not at all. If if the fifth yeah the fifth tenant of the ten point program of the Black Panthers was actually carried out, this episode wouldn't be necessary. Man, this podcast probably wouldn't even be necessary. Interesting. It'd probably be us just talking stupid shit. Like we'd still make a podcast. We'd just be complaining about how, something. How yellow my fingernails get after eating curry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, but this is this is true. I also love their use of uh, the true nature of this decadent American society, laying it out exactly as it is. Like we see, like we see you, we see y'all getting <laughs> fat, eating pork fat. <laughs> what? <to> rom. <laughs> hey, whoa, wait, huh? wait. <laughs> What's good, Brown Not Black fam? Thank you for rocking with another episode. We'll be back in a few days. With the rest of the tenants of the Black Panther Party, stick around. I promise you'll want to hear them. As per usual, hit us on all our socials below. Any feedback, any questions, anything you want to hear, we're here for it. Shout out to Oakland this weekend is the Black Joy Parade, so we will be a little busy. I'll be at the Black Joy Parade this weekend. So if you in Oakland and if you're a listener, say what's up. Hey y'all, we gon' get it right here. This the remix. Oh, 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 oh. Serving a piece. Oh, oh, oh. oh so death. Uh, yeah. Chingy. The Zadie. Let's do it. I like the way you do that right there. Right there. Sweet the hip when you walk and let down your hair. Down your hair. I like the way you do that right there. Oh, 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 oh. It's so bad, I'm constantly getting calls from the murk I got a girl rabbit, the way she bounce it for the curve My band defending her like a lawyer, so be word Some dudes be handcuffing, but dirty, that ain't fur I wanna bet she got the bar like a turd She waited, I'll hit it, though I ain't thinking about merge I love these honeys, might as well call me Papa Bird Girl, you know you looking good, good Hey, don't I know you from the hood You say you wasn't when you would, would Now take it off, you know you should and I twist around for me I like the way you do that right there Right there Sweet and hip when you walk and let down your hair Down your hair I like the way you do that right there Right there Lick your lips when you're talking that make me stir Make me stir I like the way you do that right there Right there Sweet and hip when you walk and let down your hair Down your hair I like the way you do that right there Right there Lick your lips when you're talking that make me stir Make me stir Miss Trina make the ballers wanna stir Wanna stir Has a naughty boots loud with the fur Right there, right there. I like the way you do that right there, right there.
What's good, Brown Not Black fam? Thank you for rocking with another episode. We'll be back in a few days with the rest of the tenants of the Black Panther Party. Stick around. I promise you'll want to hear them. As per usual, hit us on all our socials below. Any feedback, any questions, anything you want to hear, we're here for it. Shout out to Oakland this weekend is the Black Joy Parade, so we will be a little busy. I'll be at the Black Joy Parade this weekend. So if you in Oakland and if you're a listener, say what's up. Peace. One love.